the blast from our past network. Hey everybody, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to mention that this is kind of a lost episode. Uh, Corey and I recorded this one in June of 2019, so you'll hear some references to a couple older things. Um, but I thought this was a good episode and it just kind of sat back not being used. So we thought we would finally get it out there and we're excited for y'all to hear it. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and fan castings, and a whole lot more all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And in this episode, we've got another sequels for you. We are going to be doing a sequel of our episode of The Rescuers. That's right. Corey and I are going to break down Rescuers down under. Down under, eh? Put, put another rescue on the Bobby, mate. <laughs> exactly. Another rescue on the Bobby. So I'm going to talk like this the rest of the episode. And uh, yeah, and you're all going to have to fucking deal with it, okay? And you've lost all of your subscribers. <laughs> yeah, I kind of lost the accent too. I didn't do very good at it. I, not Yeah, not particularly good at it. Funny enough though, my brother-in-law uh, is actually Australian and he's got an accent. And every time he comes... And like, you know, hangs out with the family or whatnot. We've done like a cruise with him and you're just kind of like around talking to him. I cannot help, but just like I, I start thinking in Australian <laughs> just because it, it's cooler. And I, I want to talk in Australian. And it just I can't. I'm just not that cool because I'm just very boring. Do you start absorbing the accent? Yeah, I think a little bit. Do you start like actually like regurgitating it back out? Yeah. I mean, yeah, at least I do mentally. And I have to like almost actively try to not speak in an Australian accent because I, I'm probably being rude. <laughs> I'm probably gonna, he'll probably turn around and, and punch me right in the kisser. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. You know what that reminds me of real quick? There's an X-Men character named Mimic, I think, and mm-hmm. his only power was that he could mimic people's voices. Uh, No, Mimic had more powers than that. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah. my bad. Well, all right, well, then maybe we'll just cut this. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, right? Yeah. Mimic, mimic could mimic their powers. Okay, then maybe I'm thinking of things. Yeah, if you if you else. see him, he's kind of got he's got the big angel wings. He's got like almost like this massive goggle thing. Yeah, mimics mm. um, mimics not just their voices. Okay, maybe you're thinking of <laughs> if the X Men cartoon of Morph could Mor- Morph could morph into them visually, but he couldn't do any of their powers. Now Mimic can actually mimic powers. Okay, I swear that there's a character from from the 80s or something where I think he could translate any language and then mimic any voice. I could be wrong. I just think somebody had that power and it was completely whack. And I'm like, man, that's the power I don't want to have. That's very possible, but I can't remember who that might be, but that sounds somewhat familiar, but his name's not Mimic. Okay. Yeah, I agree. You're probably right. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's get on to rescuers down under. Can I go back to this accent, eh? <laughs> no. Okay, fine. Fuck it. This film came out in 1990, which is 13 years after the release of the first Rescuers movie. And so my question to you, Corey, is, you know, how do you how did you come about this movie? Do you remember this movie? Was this part of your nostalgia uh, at all? 
No, not really. Um, if you guys have listened to the Blast from Our Past podcast, the episodes that I've been on, uh, or the sequels, you'll know that my background is like RoboCop at the age of eight and stuff <laughs> like that. So I didn't have an affinity for rescuers or rescuers down under. I do believe I've seen them both at one point or another, um, but they were never like big into like in my my canon of movies that I watched on the regular. Now. I am an artist and I, I grew up doing a lot of drawing and painting and like, like going to like a magnet art program and whatnot in high school. So I, I really enjoy animated movies. So I do kind of go back and I watch these older ones. Um, but I have not seen this movie easily 30 years, maybe I, I guarantee 30 years since this movie wasn't out 30 years ago. You're probably wrong on that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how long ago did what was the math on that? It came out in 1990, which is 29 years ago. <laughs> okay, so I probably saw this about 25 years ago. That's okay. the last time I saw this. <laughs> damn it. I'm podcasting with an idiot, people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you are. All right. Spoiler alert I didn't do well in math in high school. All right. So. For me, this movie was always one I held up in high nostalgic value. If anybody out there listened to our top 10 Disney animated movies before the before 2000, uh, our breakdown of that list, I put Rescuers Down Under, I think it was like number seven or six or something. I, I can't remember exactly where right off the top of my head, but it was in that top 10. And so, you know, I obviously liked this one better than the original and this is this one obviously came out for me you know right in my wheelhouse i was around four years old when this movie came out you know the first one came out in 77 and so it was a you know long long time ago and this one is a lot more colorful than the original it's just a lot more vibrant it's a good kid kind of movie and so I latched onto this one. Now I haven't seen this one in probably uh, probably like around twenty-ish years or so. And so you know I, I'm kind of eager to talk about you know down the line when we do our kind of final thoughts. You know, did this one hold up for me? And it, do I still think it should be in my top ten? We'll talk about that later. But for me, this was definitely one that I saw a lot like during my daycare um, or just maybe on TV when I was younger. But like it was one that I absolutely remembered as a kid and I latched onto. Yeah, and I saw, like, it came out when I was 12, so Mm -hmm. it was in post-Robocop, post-Predator and Aliens I saw in the theater, so it... I never like wanted to go see animated movies. Um, you know, you can't you can't go back from that shit, man. You can't go yeah, back from Aliens what, and Predator and RoboCop. It really is, and you know, but at the same time, it's kind of sad because I did truly miss this movie, uh, having this some sort of nostalgia to it, and it's it's sad because it's damn good, and mm-hmm. that's that's all I'm gonna say for right now. I I wish I had seen it when I was twelve. All right. Rescuers Down Under was directed by Hendel Butoy. Uh, He directed a segment from Fantasia 2000. Uh, He was also a part of the art department or animation department for Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Co., and then also Emperor's New Groove. So a lot of those kind of like, you know, 70s, 80s, and even later uh, Disney movies. Was he an understudy of maybe Don Bluth or uh, because his style just looks very Bluthish? Oh, uh, I didn't. 
Okay. <laughs> I just I just that looked was, him up on IMDb, yeah. man. I didn't go into his fucking life story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that was that was the takeaway that I got. But okay. it's it's interesting you said Emperor's New Groove because I love that. I actually legitimately love that movie. Yeah, which came out in two thousand. So and it was it was quite a good good movie. Um, this film was also directed by Mike Mike Gabriel, uh, who directed Pocahontas. So another kind of beloved Disney movie during like the Renaissance time. Uh, and he was also a part of the art department, animation department for pretty much the same stuff that Hendel Butoy did. Um, and just as a note, these two were not the same directors of the original rescuers. Uh, these are two different guys, um, obviously a little bit later in the game. I mean, after 13 years, you know, things change a little bit. So uh, this film was written alongside, you know, uh, multiple other writers, but the name that stood out to me was Joe Ranft. Uh, Joe Ramped was a writer who worked on Brave Little Toaster, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Bugs Life, Monsters Inc., Cars. Like, he really got into the Pixar scene. Um, he was, you know, a part of that early stage of Pixar. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2005. But, you know, he he was a huge influence on the early Pixar just scene. And so, you know, I was really happy to see his name. He also did a lot of voice. He pretty much did a voice for everything that he worked on in Pixar. Um, he, and to me and probably most people, he's most well known as Heimlich, the big, uh, like caterpillar in a bug's life. I'm finished. Finally, I'm a beautiful butterfly. If you ever saw that, the German I've, caterpillar. I've seen a bug's life. It was a while ago though. Okay. Who, who was he in this movie? Uh, in this movie, he was nobody. He didn't do a voice for this oh. one. Oh, okay. So, All right. Sorry. <laughs> Man, we are just on fire today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get into who was actually in this movie. So good, good segue there. Uh, this movie stars Bob Newhart as Bernard, who he reprised his role from the original Rescuers. Uh, Ava Gabor was Miss Bianca. Again, she reprised her role from the first Rescuers. John Candy played Wilbur the Albatross, who was taking over for Orville, uh, who was our Albatross in the original movie. Tristan Rogers plays Jake, the Australian mouse. Uh, lots of episodes of General Hospital and Young and the Restless might be what you know him from. Besides that, uh, nothing else really stands out, but, you know, he's a big soap opera guy. And uh, George C. Scott did the voice of McLeach, who is our main villain. And George C. Scott, you probably know from Dr. Strangelove, or more likely, he played General Patton in the film Patton. Uh, But for me, I will never forget... George C. Scott as the grandpa in the movie Angus. I fucking love that movie Angus. Which one's Angus? I don't think I've ever seen that. Okay, Angus is a movie from, I believe it was 95. Didn't have a huge cast, but it had two Oscar-winning people in it, which were fantastic. One being George C. Scott, and the other was Kathy Bates. And they both did a fantastic job. Uh, Really what the movie is, it's about kind of, you know, kind of nerd outsider culture, but really what it spoke to me about the main kid Angus uh, was a fat kid in school. He was overweight and, you know, him having to overcome the bullies and overcome, you know, his situation, etc. was what kind of really spoke to me because I was always a, a chunkster, a chubby, a fat fuck, uh, whatever. <laughs> they, you know, I, I still am for God's sake. Um, and so I adore Angus and it has a f- just absolutely fucking amazing uh, 90s, soundtrack to it 
a lot of Green Day. Was was George C. Scott his his dad in it or his granddad? His, or his grand his grandfather. Okay, cool. Okay, neat. And oh. and I'm gonna save talking too much about it because I think it is an episode that I'm going to force uh, John to do with me at one point. Um, because I just I adore it that much, and it's one of those movies that even to today, and now partly because it's so nostalgic for me, but even to today, I'll cry when I watch it because there are there's a scene that just it hits me way too fucking hard. Oh shit! Well, I don't like to cry during movies, so I'll probably never you watch. Don't. It. God damn. No, I hate it. My and my wife loves to watch me cry if I do cry, <laughs> and because she's like, "It's happening," and I'm yeah. like, "No," See, and I'm like, "What is this salty discharge?" Yeah. Okay. To me, well, well spoken uh, there, <laughs> Mr. Jerry Seinfeld. Hey, speaking of Seinfeld, um, don't you talk about Seinfeld in another podcast? Why, yes, I do. And I talk about it with you <laughs> yes. on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. It's a part of the Blast from Our Past podcast network. Yes, and uh, what a better time than to, to plug it with you uh, doing a Seinfeld quote uh, and us both talking about it on this podcast. So anyway, yeah. go you out. Can fi- yeah. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean and Patreon. If you know how to search for a podcast, idiots, all of y'all should figure out how to do that by now. You can find Cartwright. Cartwright a Seinfeld podcast. I'm not calling you all idiots, but I'm just saying if you don't know and you have to be told how to find out find a podcast by now. All right, okay, I'm calling you idiots. Uh, you guys are. I know you're smarter than that. So anyway, you're you're just firing that idiot cannon left and right. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're cool. You know what? You're an idiot. I'm probably the idiot for saying that to our listeners. I love you guys. Uh, I hope you check out me and Corey on Cartwright. A Seinfeld podcast because you know well, I'm having a good time. We're two doing idiots. It. Yeah, we are two idiots. <laughs> you, you bastard! <laughs> I'm a bastard. <laughs> you bastard! All right. Anyway, more about that later. What was I? Oh, I wanted to go back to. Sorry, just a fucking tangent after tangent. I wanted to go. Back. I love crying during film. Now maybe that is partly the film student in me. Like I love having a movie that makes me feel something. You know, I don't need to feel happy. With every movie, I just want to feel something, and so when a movie makes me feel something intense and makes me cry, or you know, makes me angry, or makes me scared, or whatever, I love that. And so I absolutely love crying during a film, just because it, it's something that I know this movie hit me in a way that most most things don't. And I and I just really appreciate the art of filmmaking. And so when it does that, um, it, to me, it takes the movie to another level. And and you're not wrong. It's just for me. It's literally a nightmare. I I don't know. It's a mental block. I hate crying during movies or at all, period. That being said, oh, I cry so easily during movies and stuff. I just keep it inside, and it just, like, like all, everything just goes right back inside, and I just stare at, like, right at the movie screen and just, like, keep my eyes from blinking because if I know if I blink, the, the tear's going to run down my cheek, and then it's over. It's all over, just like in Coco. I will never, <laughs> ever see Coco ever again. Yeah. I cried during that entire entire fucking movie and it was a nightmare <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right let's pull things all the way back to rescuers down under uh, and hopefully we can find out if you cried in this movie or not i don't know we'll find out uh? okay well we start off in the australian outback uh, and i do love this opening title card and the way it pops up and i really enjoy the animation because you get this camera you know, kind of the, the quote-unquote camera, the animation camera, if you will, just kind of flying across the plains. And we get the 
uh, you know, we get the title card and we're just, you know, moving fast with this kind of fast, quick drum beating music. It just works really well. And we reach this house. It's kind of a shabby little place. Uh, and we see this kid trying to sneak out of the house, you know, after he hears something. He hears this noise. And so he's trying to leave. Um, you know, his mom kind yeah. of catches him, but, you know, he gets out of the house. Nothing crazy. Yeah, I, I got to I gotta say, my very first note is awesome intro. Yeah. That shot of the camera flying through the grass to the house, like it goes into the window and everything. I'm telling you right now, I was hooked from the moment go on this movie. I was like, oh, this is, oh, hello. This is fun. Yeah. And and the animation is just amazing. Yeah. I, let's, like, without even stopping, you know, from shot one, you can tell the animation really holds up in this film. Uh, it's something that they integrate a lot of computer animation along with like the classic 2D drawing animation, which we can probably talk about later in the later scenes. But there's they do some fantastic melding of the two and just the way things look and the actual animation style itself looks really good. And in my opinion, you know, uh, definitely a step up from the original Rescuers, which looked fine. That looked good. But this one just looks better. Yeah, I I wish I'd watched the first Rescuers before this one, but you know it, it's okay going into this. Honestly, not really knowing the first Rescuers, this is very standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I was watching, I had to watch this on my laptop. Unfortunately, there wasn't streaming anywhere, and I it was hard for me to see if there was CGI. And I I did make a couple notes, and I was going to ask you if they actually blended the two. But there's a scene in particular, mm-hmm. and we'll I'll, I'll mention it when we get there, basically. Okay. But I mean, you kind of answered my question. Cool, cool, cool. One thing that bothered me immediately. Cody leaves his house and we hear his mother. His mother obviously has an Australian accent. Cody sounds American as fuck. And it really bothers me. It's like, wait a minute. Oh, this kid should have an Australian accent. Cody? Yeah, Mom? What about your breakfast? I've got some sandwiches in my pot. We'll be out for supper. No worries, Mom. And I feel like in if they redid this today, they would give him an Australian accent. But like, you know, we were in the time where everything just became white Americanized. It doesn't matter what you were. You were going to become Americanized because they're like, well, American audiences can't understand an Australian voice. So we're just going to make him sound like he's from, you know, wherever Fuxville, USA. And, I, that, and even George C. Scott doesn't even mm-hmm. really sound all that Australian. Uh, the mouse, the the Australian mouse, is the only one that's that kind of sounds Australian. Now I didn't, I actually didn't even notice Cody uh, not having an Australian accent. But now that you mention it, you're hundred percent correct, mm-hmm. and and I agree with your assessment. If it came out today, they would have just they would have found an Australian actor to, to yeah. play that part. Um, and you are correct. It's like back, especially back in the eighties and nineties, like everything was you know Americanized. Uh, you know, whitewashed, etc. But we did remember that was during this is this movie came out during a period of time with our fascination with Australia, right? Like right around the time of uh, you know uh, Crocodile Dundee and mm-hmm. whatnot. It's like America was just real big on Australia for a hot minute. Yeah, Crocodile Dundee was definitely real, real hot after that. I think it came out in I don't know probably the late '80s, and so this was uh, definitely in that zone. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, Cody runs uh, runs out of the house, whatnot. He runs to this kangaroo that is blowing a tree horn, um, and apparently this is like a call for help. Uh, and Cody, you know, he loves to help the animals. And this kangaroo tells him, you know, that this this eagle or whatever uh, needs some help, you know, over by the cliff. Right here, I, I kind of. <laughs> 
kind of want to stop for just a second and talk about, I was a little bit taken aback about this kangaroo so quickly talking to a human. And I know in the first rescuers, you know, the mice did talk to uh, humans, but like just, I don't know, just seeing like a big ass kangaroo talking to a kid, uh, it just, <laughs> just kind of, for some reason made me kind of stop and be like, Oh, oh okay. This is one of those movies. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's not going to take away from the film, but I found it hard to figure out what animals like could talk like the bird doesn't talk to the other bird yeah. and the bird acts like a bird and the kid yeah you know, and it, it works like all of it works but if you if you take a step back you're like okay but why is this happening how come this kid can talk to every animal except for the bird it and is, then yeah. even wilbur can't talk to the bird or i actually actually i don't know if there's an interaction there but it i kind of got the sense that wilbur wouldn't be able to no. talk to the bird because so I, I agree. I agree. I, it, it's it is very, and that is something actually I wrote notes about because I was I really want to talk about it is because it is it's very interesting. Disney does this like all the time where they s- decide some animals can talk while others can't. You know, and in right for the Pluto, the Pluto goofy yeah, scenario. Yeah, very true. Um, and you know, in the original Rescuers, like almost every other animals can talk except for some of the lesser intelligent. Uh, antagonist animals like the the crocodiles and then in this example joanna can't talk but joanna can understand every word of english as can the eagle the eagle can understand every word of english basically right but doesn't you know doesn't actually speak english like all of the other animals do uh which is it is so interesting where they draw the line and and where they think that should make sense or not and and I'm, it's kind of hurting my brain trying to figure out exactly <laughs> where they draw that line um but i find it i find it interesting anyways it maybe yeah, maybe I, it's for a breakdown for another time yeah no i i completely agree and but you know you, you've seen so many of these animated movies and you're just like okay fine i'll just accept it and not not worry about it but yeah if you start peeling the layers <laughs> of the onion back you're like okay why is this happening yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it, it doesn't detract from the the experience of this amazing film at all yeah uh, and one other thing i do want to bring up more about talking with animals uh, and disney does this in all their fucking movies it seems like um they give Children, specifically children, the superpower of talking to animals that adults no longer have. Like, because I don't believe McLeach can talk to the animals that he has captured, you know, in his place later on. Um, And just in general, it doesn't seem like adults have that power. But in every movie, you know, including like the original Rescuers, kids can talk to animals, but not the adults. And I feel like that is one thing that Disney really grabs on to children uh, that adults, you know, I mean, if you grew up with Disney, you probably still love it. But that's why, you know, it's a very children centric thing is because they're like, you know, children are special. Children are so innocent. They can talk with the fucking plants and animals, baby. Like, you know, they are real sweet things, you know, which is all utter bullshit. Children are terrible. (laughs) They're the worst. (laughs) But, you know, if you're a kid and you watch this, you know, you feel like you're special and you feel like you can go talk to an animal and you understand better than other people. It's, it's it's totally empowering for the kids, which is fantastic because you, the, they grab them right then and there. And honestly, I've, I feel like it feeds their imagination. And mm-hmm. as an adult, 
like watching this now with no kids around me, just a grown man watching rescuers down under in his underwear, smoking, <laughs> smoking weed on the couch on his laptop. And I'm like, fuck man, like kids had it so good. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I want to be a kid again, man. There's too many, there's too many responsibilities out here in the world. You know, I want to yes. talk to animals, but uh, it's, it's great. It, it empowers kids and it, this movie has a very positive message to it and everything. Mm-hmm. And, I love it. I love everything about it. Cool. Cool. All right. So Cody goes up this cliff and he helps release this massive golden eagle that he names Marahute, which apparently, you know, must have been this local legend of this gigantic bird. And so I looked up Marahute, assuming this maybe this is like an aboriginal, you know, kind of myth or or kind of a fable, something like that. And I couldn't find shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, it, not, it's, it really seems to have nothing to do with it. Um, well, considering that they named everything in the Australian back, outback like Nightmare Canyon and yeah. Crocodile Pass and Quicksand mm-hmm. Turnpike, you know, I don't think that they were putting a lot of like research into yeah. <laughs> into the outback yeah. there. And by the way, does does Nightmare Canyons does it give you nightmares <laughs> or is it just a nightmare to kind of traverse? I don't understand. Nor do I, sir. Uh, nor do I. But uh, so anyway, Marhute is this just gigantic golden eagle, and that's pretty much what I kind of call it throughout this. So uh, big ass, big golden eagle, um, but not not the actual golden eagle, the animal, but just like a big eagle that has like a golden feathers. Right. So, okay. Very valuable. Very very amazing. Yeah. Very exactly. beautiful. I should mm-hmm. say. Very beautiful. Uh, and I want to say I total this scene. I've kind of forgot that this scene was so early. I th- in my head I thought this was a much later scene where he kind of rescued Marahute. Uh, this one is one that I just I fully fully remember. He pulls out his you know pocket knife to, and it kind of scares the bird and he's like cutting it loose and the bird ends up knocking him off this massive cliff and so you know he's fallen i do love like like the tears you see tears kind of going down his eyes because he's like falling so quickly uh and so he's obviously thinks he's gonna die but the eagle because eagles are that smart it knows that this kid saved him or her uh and flew down and let Uh, Cody grab it onto its back feathers and rescues the kid. Triumphant music plays. And it's just glorious. It's an absolutely glorious moment. Boy and eagle. A boy and his pet eagle. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god dude if if this movie had me you know at the opening intro with that camera flying through the grass this scene right here just was the nail in the coffin the 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 shot when when cody releases um the the eagle Mm -hmm. and she kind of like throws her wings up it was fucking gorgeous like Mm -hmm. in front of the sun and everything like that shot in and of itself was fucking amazing and then when the kid you know is falling and she grabs him dude i cheered Mm -hmm. i fucking cheered and then after this the the whole scene of them flying around and everything is absolutely amazing 
I cannot stress it enough to you. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. Every flying scene in this movie is amazing. Um, And then to to your point earlier, where you were like, you know, you you were surprised that this happened so early on. This movie moves. It moves at a very fast pace. It's boom. It's in and out. It doesn't like stay around and do stuff that it doesn't need to do. It, It comes in and gives you everything you need really quick. I, I, this scene right here was unbelievable at the end. Just the animation, man. Just yeah. Damn. Animation is so good. It is. Every, every frame, every fucking frame is amazing. <laughs> you know what? I, I just edited, I just edited, uh, um, Mortal Kombat and, uh, Annihilation the other day. And, you know, you guys released it on the podcast, but like, man, it's like, it's like, you know, the last few sequel movies haven't been that wonderful. I'm just like, this one I'm all in, guys. I am yeah. all in. We finally we finally got a half at least halfway decent movie to talk about on our sequels. And so uh it it's yeah, let's let's enjoy it. You know, because it's not gonna happen every time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's so. let's ha- let's come on, let's savor this one, guys. Yes. So uh all right, so you know, we get some really kind of cute scenes of Cody and the Eagle a kind of bonding as well. You know, he like does this little screech and the eagle screeches back. The eagle takes Cody to his nest, shows uh, him her egg. So we find out, oh, it's it's a mama. It's a mama marahute. He asks about, you know, where's the daddy eagle? And of course, the bird knows what he's talking about. And you know, basically, without saying anything, lets him know that the the papa's dead, um, which Cody lets us know that his dad is dead too, and so they kind of bond about that too, uh, which is also kind yeah, of it, yeah. I mean, it also sets up a fairly sympathetic story for both Cody and the Eagle at this point. Up until then, you know, I wasn't sure if the bird understood him or mm-hmm. you know if it was more of like you know empathy, empathy sort of thing. But yeah, with her reaction to when he asked about the the mama bird, and she was like, oh, you know, it, uh, yeah, it, she totally understands him, but she can't talk back to him mm-hmm. unlike Wilbur so I, I don't know why but it, it works like it totally works because the animators do a fantastic job emoting uh, both Cody and uh, the bird and it just it works you get it yeah you know? I mean I would not say that an albatross is more intelligent than a fucking eagle and so I do I don't know why he they, they, Wilbur can talk and not an eagle but honestly, I would say because the eagle is more intelligent, it chooses it doesn't talk to the humans because it's just it's on a different level. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, it's better. It's better than humans. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. All right. <laughs> uh, so Cody gets to take this golden feather from the big eagle eagle that fell off. Uh, she lets him take it and he heads back home. Uh, but on his way, he sees this mouse in a little trap, you know, and it's all like, oh, shit. But. The mouse wasn't in a trap. It was a trap itself. And Cody gets kind of pulled down into this pit. The mouse, which can also talk, heads out and comes back dragging this massive vine. Uh, and one well, of- I, I, Real quick, I like how the mouse was like, are you okay? And Cody's like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And he just like ran away. And you, th- you think he's gone. Exactly. But I liked his little like, are you okay? Yeah, okay, good. And he just like runs away. For a second, you think he's going to ditch him. But, yeah. uh, but he comes back with this big vine. And... I thought to myself, there's no fucking way that mouse could pull that gigantic vine. It was like, you know, it, it, the, the diameter of that mouse, like the radius of that fucking vine was bigger than the mouse. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what diameter and radius means? You weren't good at math. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so it's got something to do with squares, right? Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, we meet this bad guy, obvious bad guy. He's in this big, you know, uh, off-road vehicle that obviously sucks a lot of gas and chops down trees and it does whatever the fuck it wants. It's just this big badass vehicle, uh, and we, dude, dude, that thing was so fucking Mad Max. Yeah. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was. I I love that vehicle. His design, like he looks awesome, yes. but like the fact that he has that vehicle i was like yes that is awesome yeah yeah he does he looks very cool and so we're talking about mick leach uh who i think is a pretty underrated disney villain you know he's not like a great villain but he is fantastic george c scott's voice was so good as a villain and as particularly this kind of villain um i I really think you know he kind of gets the shaft when people don't you know he's not a top villain by any means but he is someone that you know he deserves more respect than i think he gets yeah, and as in, in Joanna too, his mm-hmm. his compatriot, his little what is that a kimono dragon? I guess is what she is. Um, uh, yeah, something. Uh, I, the two the two of them were just fantastic, absolutely yes. great. I loved uh, George C. Scott's you know d- delivery of the lines and everything, and I loved his character. I loved his character's design, but man, I love that car that that or that yeah. truck that <laughs> yeah. tank thing, whatever the hell he has. Yeah. It's that is so fucking cool. And they didn't have to give him that; they could have given him something something normal like a yeah. pickup truck or yeah. something but dude they exactly. gave matt i was like yes yeah some kind yes. of like safari kind of truck would have made a lot of sense too but like no they give him this monstrous fucking thing but uh all right uh i want to talk about joanna just for a second if you didn't already know this joanna's voice was done by none other than friend of the podcast well i wish he was a friend of the podcast pot <laughs> but voice legend frank welker did the voice of Joanna. Joanna, I, I picked it out, obviously, immediately. Uh, and I think I even kind of knew it beforehand. But, you know, he does such great animal voices. And uh, Joanna, who doesn't actually really speak, but just makes, you know, kind of these, you know, human-esque, but, you know, lizardy voices. And, and I just, I, I do enjoy that kind of sidekick that they've got with her. I'm gonna kill that dumb, slimy, sucking salamander. Get out I I think is this the first movie we've done that Frank Welker's been on? Um, Because I I haven't feel like I I mean I heard you and John always talk about. Oh yeah, we we love him. But, I know Frank Welker from uh, uh, Real Ghostbusters is, as Ray Stance is my uh, Frank yeah, Welker. But, yes. um, so not but yeah, dude, technically. He, he does a great job with, with yeah. the, the animal stuff. Mm-hmm. Like anytime you need an animal voice, any kind of grunts and stuff. My God, he's so fucking amazing. He is. He is. So uh, not technically. He, he's done, he has worked on an episode that we've done. It hasn't been one of the sequels episode, but Frank Welker did the voice of Shao Kahn at the end of the first Mortal Kombat, uh, you know, that you just get the voice very, very much at the end. He did that, and he also did the, the sounds of Reptile in that movie, So, which we did an audio commentary for. So this isn't our first, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, brush with Frank Welker. This isn't our... Th- this isn't our first Frank Welker rodeo. Yeah, no, definitely not. And not on this podcast by any means. <laughs> and, and you're 100% correct. I totally forgot that he did the voice of, mm-hmm. of Shao Kahn at the end of Mortal Kombat. Yep. God, yeah, Frank Welker, man. Fucking love it. <laughs> and, I love, and I love Joanna. Love Joanna. Yeah, Joanna's good. All right, so McLeach is this poacher, basically. Um, and, you know, he knows it's, a, it's obviously a crime. Cody, you know, wants to fight 
poachers you know he's like fuck you i'm gonna send you off to the rangers man uh and so you get that kind of good back and forth he kind of what i do like mcleach tries to play that off as an accident as an accident um and not that it wasn't a trap um but you know it's uh obviously a trap and joanna tries to eat the mouse that went inside cody's bag uh which ends up uh in doing so it releases the gold feather that cody got from um the big golden eagle earlier which we see mcleach is very interested in this feather feather because he says say where'd you get this pretty feather boy it was a present oh that's real nice who gave it to you it's a secret that's no secret boy you see i already got the father <laughs> you just tell me where mama and those little eggs are no i think i was taking a notes or something because i missed that that he i think i was actually writing down a note about the car and how much i love the, the his vehicle but i missed that he killed the dad so yeah that, holy shit that's actually oh my god that makes this movie even better for me seriously <laughs> yeah holy it makes shit, him a, that's a, awesome. a better villain yeah he said you know i got the daddy earlier uh and so you know he he it ties in already we know we saw the emotion from the bird that it misses its misses its husband basically and it's father of his children's baby daddy but mcleach is the one who killed it so and that's why also why he's so interested in this one um because you know it's it's a very rare bird we are assuming one of the last few if not the last of these big ass fucking birds uh he wants it to be super rare so he can i guess sell it for more fucking money or whatever but uh, he's a, he's not a good guy yeah, that's all you need to no, know. No, he's he's absolutely <laughs> not a good guy, and, he, and that's all you need to know. But I'm just like reveling in the fact that this movie just got even better for mm-hmm. me. Good, <laughs> good. Uh, so Cody tries to end up escaping, but you know he gets caught. Basically, what I do want to say, I, I always liked the shot when McLeach pulls Cody out of the trap at first. You know, kind of before I said he escaped or tries to escape, but he pulls him out with the gun pointing at him. And it's just like, oh, shit, that's dangerous as fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, there, there's no way that gun could reach that far down into the pit looking at it earlier. But it is it was a good looking shot. I did like it. And it's just always, always stuck with me. He's like, oh, fuck, he's going to have this kid climb up by grabbing the barrel at the end of this fucking gun. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I don't think you could have. You you can't do that this today in, in the climate <laughs> oh, and everything. Yeah. Now you could not do that at all. <laughs> you would have to use a stick. Yeah, you can't even animate it. Not, the bad guy can't even do that shit anymore. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. Uh, so after Cody, you know, tries to escape and gets caught again, McLeach is kind of you know pissed at him, whatever, and he throws his backpack into the river, and he's smart enough to you know know that the Rangers and you know probably his family or whatever are going to know that if they find this eaten up backpack by the uh, you know that was chomped on by the crocs they're gonna just assume that cody is fucking dead and you know he's turned into crocodile poop or something by now and spoiler alert that works yeah so exactly. it's 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 kind of nice that and it's not nice but it's kind of cool that the villain isn't like a complete moron he's mm-hmm. he's capable he's a capable villain from beginning to end and that's what you're right that's what makes him such a good villain especially in like the the Disney pantheon he should get more of a deserved yeah. uh you know recognition yeah i agree he doesn't make too many mistakes and a lot of them make some very bumbling idiotic mistakes and he's not 
you know, he's not the smartest guy, but he is like kind of, he's street smart or outback smart or something like that. You know, he, he's lived out there and he knows shit. Well, we, we find out much, much later that he only yes. made it through the third grade. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he is, uh, I guess you could say street smarts or you could say outback smart. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a very, very capable villain, but he's not the brightest bulb in the, in the shed. Yeah. All right. So uh, the mouse that was in the bag heads out. It sends off this kind of chain reaction call that makes all the way makes it all the way to New York. You know, it's, it's a whole kind of like a montage thing as the call mouses are calling mouse, et cetera, et cetera. And they're kind of going across the world. Uh, and it's a, it's an emergency call to the rescue aid society. So if you saw the first movie, you remember that, you know, the rescue aid society is this group of mice that, you know, go and rescue kids in need. And if you didn't see the first movie, honestly, you, it, it's okay. You, mm-hmm. I figured it out. Like you didn't, you weren't missing anything. I don't think. No. Like, from it. Definitely not. And one thing that I'm really glad that they don't do again in this movie is sing the Rescue Aid Society song. They had that in the first Rescuers, and it is a fucking boring, bad song. And so I'm happy they don't even they don't even deal with that shit. They just get straight into you know, oh shit, this kid needs help. We need to find Bianca and Bernard because they're our best fucking agents. Boom. 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 Mic drop. Boom. That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> uh, but Bernard and Bianca aren't there at the meeting. They are out on a date. And Bernard is this kind of nervous wreck. Um, I know you probably don't remember the first movie all that much, as you said. But, you know, he's this kind of bumbling, clumsy, kind of nervous wreck kind of a guy. Uh, and we get that out pretty obvious, you know, seeing it here. It's very Bob Hope-esque, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's kind of just Bob Hope. Now, do do they, like, augment his voice a little bit? Do they pitch it up uh, a little bit? Because I was like, I know this is Bob Hope, but it wasn't quite clicking for me. Well, because it's not Bob Hope, it's Bob Newhart. Oh, f- <laughs> Ah, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm, and, and yes, you're 100% correct. And everything I just said, yeah, you're right. I, my bad. Because I was going to say, Newhart. this is not very, but he's not very Bob Hope. Bob Hope was, you know, very kind of, you know, funny, laid back and kind of Mr. Cool. So I'm just going to make no, fun no, of you he, here. I'm going to keep stretching this out. Um, you know, you're just, you were way off, motherfucker. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're right. Um, and, but I was, uh, yeah, he's very Bob Newhart. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Just reinsert. Let's go back and cut Bob Newhart. um but yeah my my question is did did they pitch it up a little bit did they do a little bit of the the chippendale to him probably i mean i I didn't i didn't notice it it. maybe just a tiny little bit i wouldn't be shocked yeah um i did really like this scene with uh the the restaurant with the the mices the meese Mm -hmm. (laughs) the meeses um the 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 on top of the chandelier you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. i think that was really fucking cool of the, yeah, they had their own little restaurant upside. You know, anything that dropped on the floor, they kind of make their own. They, they were setting, they were setting a whole scene. You know, you're kind of really getting into the world of these of the mice of New York or whatever, and like kind of the the different society that they do. That's kind of an offshoot culture of you know, uh, human culture. Real quick. That's actually a question. It, this wasn't New York, right? It was um, like Canada, wasn't it, or like Toronto or something? No, it was New York. They, <laughs> no, they flew over New York. They like when they did the um, like you know flying when they did the the lines of communication mm-hmm. they actually went over new york and then it like went kept going into the clouds no, so is so it actually it didn't go into the clouds it, new york is a big city i don't know if you've ever been to a big city you know uh in your life but 100 <laughs> yeah, percent, this is new york 
Okay. All right. So all right. I, I see what you mean, though. But yeah, because they had the New York, it seemed, you know, that they kind of flew over it. But it was, it was, there was a bunch of lights. It was like basically like the city sprawl. Um, but yeah, 100% the first New York or the first rescuers um, and the Rescue Aid Society, their headquarters is in New York. Okay, and and I honestly assumed it was, but I was watching okay. that like communication montage, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, okay, because it would land like like the little arrow would land in Denver, and yes. then it would land here, and then it flew like over New York, and then kind of went into the clouds. And I see what you mean; it was like implying that that's where it's going to land. But I I was like, oh, okay, it was actually a little confusing. For it me. was. No, I, I fully understand the confusion, but you know, it also would have it should have said the city that they were if it wasn't New York. Um, you yeah. So you, you can make the assumption and, you know, me knowing that, uh, you know, seeing the first movie, but it's, it's definitely New York. And, and for me, honestly, I mean, it makes more sense for it to be in New York. I was like, oh, okay, they're yeah. not in New York. But for me, it's actually, it makes more sense that they were in New York. So mm-hmm. that that's fine. Okay. Bernard's being all very bumbly and whatnot. And uh, just kind of to kind of speed through this little bit, you know, he we, we see that he wants to try and marry Bianca, but he can't get it out on time um, and kind of through a whole little mix up. He thinks that maybe she she understands, but she ends up getting told about the mission that they've got to do. And so they go in front of the Rescue Aid Society and they accept the mission. Um, so he still hasn't told her, you know, what his plans that he wants to marry. He wants to lock that shit down. Uh, and so this is kind of where we're at. So they accept the mission, but our good old friend Orville is no longer there at Albatross Air. Now they have Wilbur. You know, Orville was a fun character from the first movie. We all kind of liked him. Uh, they probably didn't just reuse Orville because the guy who voiced him passed away in 1988. So I think oh. as opposed to having someone recreate that voice, they're just like, hey, hey, let's get someone else who's kind of big right now. And so they had John Candy do his quote-unquote brother, and I like John Candy in this role. I think he did a pretty damn good job. We are from the Rescue Aid Society. I am Miss Bianca. Miss Bianca? And this is my... The Miss Bianca? I don't believe it. My brother Orville told me all about you. Oh, boy, I, this is an honor to have... May I just say enchanté, senorita, to you? May I? <laughs> I was very happy with John Candy. I was like, oh, man, this is this is awesome. I, mm-hmm. I love hearing John Candy's voice again, and, you know, especially since it feels new, right? Mm-hmm. For me now, uh, 29 years later or whatever. And he did a great job. Like, yeah. you know, it's all the John Candy notes that you expect, you know, fat jokes, you know, being out of shape jokes and everything. Mm-hmm. And he just, he nails it. It's, it's yeah. a great character. Wilbur, Wilbur could have easily have been an annoying character. And I don't remember how Orville was, but they didn't make Wilbur annoying. They did. He, and you know, he had enough time and everything. Like it wasn't too much. It was, it was a good amount. It was a very mm-hmm. good amount of Wilbur. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bianca and Bernard have to convince him to kind of go out in this massive snowstorm. Eventually they get him out and they head out and they kind of hop this plane uh, going to Australia. They make it to Australia and they go to this area called Mub- Mugwamp. <laughs> I guess that's out in the outback area. And here we meet Jake. And Jake is our Australian kangaroo mouse, but there's no way he could be a kangaroo mouse because kangaroo mice are not native to Australia. (laughs) Not at all. Wow. Okay. Kangaroo mice are from the west and southwest part of the United States and North America. They are not anywhere near 
uh, Australia one bit. I feel like these are all problems that would have been solved had they had the internet back yeah, in 1990. Yeah. Like na- nowadays, like it's not a problem to kind of do research, but back then, I, I it was a little bit more difficult. And you're just like, well, fuck it, just whitewash well, it. Anyways, exactly. Well, you know? exactly. Oh, there's kangaroo in Australia. There must be kangaroo mice. You know that must make sense. Exactly. But I do want to say, being a little pretentious on that, because Australia does have another. A type of mouse called a hopping mouse, which looks almost exactly like a kangaroo, kangaroo mouse. Now, technically, it's a different genus, different species, but it is not a kangaroo mouse. It's a it's called a hopping mouse, which is native. So, you know, it's close enough. I'm just I was just trying to, <laughs> try, you know, kind of be a little little snooty on my well. That can't be a kangaroo mouse, uh, but you know, they, you they have snooty yep. snooty McSnooterton. <laughs> That's me, baby. But yeah, one thing that we kind of find out about Jake is that he is a he's really kind of a cool guy. You know, he he is almost the epitome of Crocodile Dundee in hopping mouse slash kangaroo mouse form for Disney. So, um, which way are you taking? Uh, suicide trail through Nightmare Canyon or the shortcut at Satan's Ridge? Su- suicide trail? Good choice. More snakes, less quicksand. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's, his character doesn't really have much to it other than cool guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, truthfully, I actually wish we got to see him more, like spend a little bit more time to get to know his character. Mm-hmm. But he was one of the uh, least memorable characters of the movie, to be truthful with you. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, he he's basically just put in there, one, as to be, yeah, this cool guy and a possible threat to the marriage of Bernard and Bianca, or the the you know engagement, and that's kind of really what he's there for. Yeah, and then as a knowledge character for the yes. outback, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one good thing is though is that you know he's never really a dick. You know, we don't dislike him. He's never like he doesn't. Well, he does knowing knowingly kind of like keep pushing on Bianca, even though he does know that they're not engaged yet. Um, you know that they are, I guess, quote unquote, a couple, but you know not engaged, and so he is kind of like horning in on that territory but you know he's never like he, he never really goes over the top with it you know he kind of backs down later you know when uh, bernard you know finally gets gets up to it but yeah aside from mcleach no one else is is really at all antagonistic in this movie even uh him jake joanna's his name jake oh yeah even jake, no yeah. well yeah, joanna is still a part of the the, yeah, the yeah, bad yeah. guy antagonist okay. uh, scenario but, but, yeah, jake. but yeah jake's you know J- jake's yeah he's He's like, yeah, of course he's like going to hit on her a little bit, but it's never as as bad as like you've seen it in other movies mm-hmm. where they kind of try to make the opposite love interest the antagonist sort of. Yeah. And even like Wilbur, like he's like, I don't want to go flying out in the snow earlier. And they're like, well, kidneys help. And he's like, oh, if a kidney help, you know, like it doesn't take much to get them to do the right thing in this movie. Yeah. They don't have too much like conf- conflict going on other than like sort of getting from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Uh, Bernard and Bianca uh, head out. They leave Wilbur at this kind of like hospital because he's got a bad back. And that's kind of like a reoccurring gag. And we we see the kind of like this. We kind of keep cutting back to these scenes. And I'm just going to give an overall view or a review of that. Um, We kind of keep cutting back different scenes of him in pain with this doctor that they're trying to help him. And it's just kind of funny and funny and funnier, uh, you know, what they're doing to him and him having this entire, you know, pain in his back area. I don't know. It, it, it works. I think it's a, it's a humorous little thing. It's a good way that they at least 
keep John Candy and his comedy in the movie. Um, it is not necessary to the story one iota, but it is at least humorous. And, I, and for a kid, I definitely enjoyed those scenes. Particularly, I remember enjoying just John Candy, you know, being John Candy and, and just, you know, when they stick like the cane down his back and him in pain and, and other shit like that like shooting him in the ass or whatever that they do. This scene. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my favorite part where they shot him in the butt. But yeah, yeah you're right. The, the scenes work. Uh, they're a lot of fun, but they're total, total fluff. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of imagine maybe if they didn't get John Candy, like they got maybe a, a lesser name to play Wilbur, they probably would have just taken him out of the equation at that point, but they gave John Candy some more to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it works. At the end of the day, it is fluff, but it's very entertaining and funny fluff. Yeah, it is. All right, so Bianca, Jake, and Bernard, they head out. They go kind of travel via Sugar Glider, which is kind of, I think is kind of cool. Those things are cute as hell. We do see here that Jake's kind of continuously making moves on Bianca, and Bernard's kind of not enjoying that. One thing I do want to kind of call out to Bianca and her character, and, and this was definitely in the first movie too, she's not the quickest with certain stuff, with like some common sense stuff. She's very intelligent when it comes to, you know, solving kidnaps or stuff like that. But when it comes to some common sense, like, hey, this guy's got his arm around me and I'm dating Bernard. Maybe I shouldn't do this. She, she's a little bit ignorant to it and just kind of like accepts these uh, these forward advancements from these other mice or another stuff. And it just, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but she has always been that kind of character where she's, she's just a little bit dumb when it comes to that sense of things. Or na- naive, yes, maybe? Na- yeah, that's for, yeah, dumb's not the right word, yeah, but she's definitely naive to it, which um, I-, I think she should be smarter than that because she's really smart when it comes to, you know, how to save these kids and other stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. She, she's just kind of, and it's it's yeah. it's interesting because you know I didn't watch the first movie, so there wasn't a lot of character development for these two characters, and I'll get into it later. But mm-hmm. I feel like they didn't even do that much until the very very end of the movie. Uh, the rescuers themselves were kind of like the least you know exciting of mm-hmm. part of the movie itself. But I, I liked her character. I liked all the characters, and and later on they do you know kind of really ramp up the, the rescuers factor. But that is one thing that I felt I was kind of missing from not having seen the first movie is in this movie as much as I really enjoyed it I did not connect as closely Mm. to Bernard and uh, uh, what's her name Bianca Bianca yeah I I did not connect as closely to Bernard and Bianca as if I maybe had seen the first one and that's fine. Like it's yeah. a sequel. They already did their character development of them in the first one. So that was a little bit of a, of a drawback. I think for me, my viewing experience of it, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty valid. And, and, and their story is fine. You know, you enjoy it, but it's also not one that I honestly really care about. You know, I don't really care about Bernard and Bianca getting together. You know, they're my least favorite. What I care about is this kid in the big gold eagle. Like, you know, I want them, both both of them to be saved. I don't really give a shit about the storyline that followed through of Bianca and Bernard, you know. And that's probably, I think, why maybe they didn't continue with this series because, you know, they're not strong enough characters. I don't really care about them, but I do care about this individual situation. And that's, I think, what yeah, makes the, this more enjoyable of a film. Like, yeah, the idea of everything that's happening is cool and strong, but, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Bianca and Bernard themselves as characters aren't necessarily the strongest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good call. Um, I'd like to go back and rewatch the original Rescuers just to kind of see how, how yeah. things played out earlier on. So uh, we get, you know, some short scenes of uh, Cody 
Bambi, you know, is refusing to tell McLeach where this bird is, and McLeach is obviously pissed off about it. Um, we cut back to Jake, who really shows how badass he is, uh, you know, very Crocodile Dundee, fa- Crocodile Dundee fashion, where he catches this snake and basically beats it up and forces it to let them ride on him, uh, you know, into like through this dangerous area. Uh, and Bernard, you know, he keeps trying to ask Bianca to marry him, but he kind of keeps getting interrupted. But it also just really shows that, you know, Jake's Jake's cool guy. Yeah, he, he may not have much substance to him, but he is a nice enough dude that he wants to, you know, he was just working at the fucking airport. You know, I don't think he's a part of the Rescue Aid Society. He was just working at the damn airport as an air traffic controller guy. And then now he's like, yeah, I'll fucking help you save this kid. And so he he is a nice dude and he's a badass. So I kind of like him. Yeah. That that was my question, actually. I didn't know if he was a part of the uh, RAS uh, mm-hmm. or if he was just kind of like working there or, or whatever. But yeah, that's I, I do like the fact that, yeah, he might still be a little bit of just a smidge. He's got a dash of sleazeball in him because, yeah, you yeah. know, he's hitting on Bianca even though she's taken. But at the end of the day, he's doing it to save, save a kid. So he's, he's not... He's still a good guy, you know? He's still a good dude. There's not much substance to him, but I will admit the scene where he tames the, the snake was really fucking cool. Yeah. Like, he was like, it's like, okay, Jake's a badass. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Because that thing is like, that thing is like, you know, t- 10 times his size, and he he bitch slaps it. He essentially yes, he fucking bitch slaps <laughs> it. Does. It's like, no, you're mine. And that snake's like, yes, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. Exactly. Nice for you, Twister. Not today! There! I've been looking all over for you. Now look. We got a long way to go, and you're gonna take us there. And you're not gonna give us any trouble about it. Right? They're perfectly harmless once you look them in the eye and let them know who's boss. Ain't that right, mate? Yes. Uh, we go back to Cody, who is trapped. Uh, you know, he's kind of put into a cage that Leach has thrown him into. And he's talking with all these animals. Um, and we kind of get just get their story that, you know, that they're all captured by McLeach. I, I don't know particularly why, because in Australia, it doesn't seem like koalas and kangaroos are all that, you know, very rare. So I don't know why he's captured them in particular. Um, well, the the koala says uh, really morbid morbid piece of of dialogue. He's like, "Oh, we're gonna get out of here, all right? Like, I'm gonna be a sweater. You're yeah. gonna be, uh, you know, and then you're gonna be a, a leather leather belt or something. Yeah, you know? that's right. That to, to the little lizard. And I was like, damn, that's <laughs> that's dark. That yeah. is really dark. So, yeah. So he's he is selling them off to uh, companies that want their fur for a kind of exotic stuff or whatever it is so that makes sense um and you know they try to escape at some point but joanna comes in and stops them um we just kind of see that you know joanna's guarding over you know the all of these animals that are in here we see wilbur still being worked on you know by the doctor uh and at one point they uh you know they they pull out a fucking chainsaw uh, (laughs) to try and like (laughs) cut him open to give him some surgery you know as wilbur's like struggling and he's and he's trying to fight out of it he ends up falling on the little mouse doctor guy uh which kind of ends up straightening his back and it cures him Uh, of course the doctor says oh my back is now hurt uh which is just (laughs) kind of just a funny reverse and kind of you know uh, it was yeah, just humor. A nice just, little punchline yeah, to the to the exactly. whole like the the C storyline that was going on with with yeah. uh, Wilbur, and yeah. that's it. That's all you see of the of the other Doctor Mice or whatever. Yep. And so Wilbur heads out. He's trying to find Bernard and Bianca. 
So we'll probably we'll catch up with him later. Um, we cut to the mom's house and this is the scene that you were talking about earlier that it comes back around and she is given Cody's kind of mangled backpack from these Rangers. Uh, and so now the mom thinks her, her kid's dead. This little fucker has been eaten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's just, she's like, yeah, that's, that's tough. That's it a is. tough thing to, uh, that's a big matzo ball on the table. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, we have a podcast yeah. called Cartwright, a sci-fi podcast. <laughs> We already talked about it. We can't do it again. Okay. Uh, McLeach, uh, he's, you know, he's trying to figure out, you know, how to get the boy to tell him. And, you know, we get this kind of funny scene. And I always enjoyed this scene of, you know, especially as a kid where uh, Joanna is kind of outsmarting McLeach a little bit, you know, trying to eat his, you know, eggs that he's trying to ha- he's going to have for dinner or for breakfast the next day or whatever. And it's just a good little back and forth of Joanna kind of like sneakily grabbing him when uh, McLeach looks the other way and then like kind of kind of making him think Joanna's in one direction and he's, she's in another and she kind of keeps, keeps pulling out and eating the eggs until he realizes he doesn't have any. But this back and forth is what makes McLeach realize that the Eagles' eggs are the boy's weak spot, and he's going to utilize them to find out really where the nest is. I think it's, it's yeah. he's, he's clever, and we'll we'll get that in just, in just a little bit. Yeah, he's like uh, yeah, he's clever, that, and that's that's the word we probably should have used earlier mm-hmm. when we were describing him. I don't want you to bypass the scene real quick because I want to say that this was my favorite scene in the entire movie. Mm. It's like a, a like this stationary shot of you know McLeach sort of mm-hmm. talking, doing like a monologue to the camera while he's playing this. It's not a game, but like he's doing this thing like where he's trying to keep the the eggs away from from uh, Joanna, and it is such amazing like physical comedy i mean it's it's animated but all like all the comedy comes from the physicality of the characters and just actually (laughs) joanna outsmarts mcleach on every single one of every single time and just consumes all the eggs and i'm just watching it and i'm like this is this is this works on so many levels. The animation yeah. is gorgeous. The the like what's happening is is funny. It's engaging, and at the same time, uh, McLeach is you know kind of figuring out his his game plan. So you're sort of seeing his mental process, dude. Like this scene was was awesome it was it was hands down it might not be the most exciting scene in the movie mm-hmm. like like with a bunch of stuff happening but it was it was probably my favorite scene it was the funniest right. scene in the movie yeah it, it's it's almost like a throwback to something you would seen in like seeing like charlie chaplin or buster keaton honestly is that that kind of humor yeah it's all yeah and, and it's because the camera doesn't cut it mm-hmm. literally just sits there for like i don't know like two minutes i yeah. actually kind of wish i timed it but the, the camera does not cut for a long time every Everything plays out right in front of you, so all the all the visual gags are like right there. And then, of course, I mean, the animators just do a great job of emoting through mm-hmm. uh, uh, Joanna and emoting through uh, McLeach, just kind of showing. It's it just oh god! Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you only watch one scene from the entire movie, this is a fucking good one to watch. I'd say this one or the first uh, scene where yes. Cody, yeah, with the bird, yeah, releases the bird. Yeah, that was, that's a really good scene too. Yeah, so. that was awesome. All right. Uh, so Cody is in this little uh, cage with this lizard Frank, um, who's kind of been picking at the lock with his tail, and he some kind of somehow ends up managing to free himself, even though that lizard could have crawled through the cage like holes <laughs> at any point. 
And even somebody even does later, you kind of see it and it's just like, wait a minute, why didn't you just fucking crawl through that shit? It's one of those like weird, like animated movie things where you can tell that the the character could actually get through the bars, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're still like imprisoned by them. Yeah, Yeah, it was. It's silly, but uh, yeah, but it doesn't detract at all from from any of this of it. Yeah. So uh, that lizard frank is you know trying to quietly go get the keys and there's just kind of a whole little funny thing of him being you know he's a he's a he's a bit of a doofus he was probably my least favorite character in the movie i yeah sometimes i don't like doofus characters <laughs> i they can be done well and they can be done poorly he was a little bit in between and by poorly on doofus characters i mean they could be annoying you know mm-hmm. they could be like a little frustrating he was kind of in the middle it is nice that he isn't in it a lot yeah i think i, I would have actually gotten sick of him over time possibly he's not one of the strongest like side characters in in movie history you know um but he served his purpose i agree he was it it helped that he was in it so little uh you know he he didn't he didn't overwhelm us you know being he wasn't the sidekick you know uh, yeah he he didn't overstay his welcome yeah um so you know they end up kind of almost escaping you know joanna comes and chasing him around one point uh, and just as cody you know thinks that he got out uh mcleach grabs him you know and it's like oh shit you know he didn't end up getting out bianca jake and bernard make it to mcleach's hideout just in time you know which works well that you know cody was about to leave that mcleach now is going to do his plan of action and so he tells cody you know, that, oh, someone else killed the mama bird. You know, hey, that's all good. Um, but, oh, I just, I'm, I worry about those eggs. You know, now that they have nobody to watch over them. You know, he knows that this is going to make Cody feel bad and worry about the eggs. And that Cody is going to pretty much lead him right to the nest. Um, it's a it's a smart trick. You know, it is very clever. It's solid. You know, uh, yeah. he, he, it- Leach takes his big ass vehicle. Uh, you know, he's, he goes to follow them, uh, which Bernard and, and Bianca and Jake jump on. And But I do want to mention, we get that great fucking line that he says. <laughs> I didn't make it all the way through third grade for nothing. Yep. Yep. It's, I it's, wrote that down. I love that line. <laughs> it's super humorous, but I really do like this plan because it's, it's a very solid plan. You know, he knows how to manipulate uh, just enough to to make it you know very interesting and be a good villain. Yeah, and it's very believable. Yeah, no, hundred percent. He didn't use force. He didn't. Yeah. You know, he basically out outsmarted, out clevered the kid. And <laughs> he, yeah. Uh, again, this was just another notch on. I was like, yeah, I, I dig this villain. I dig mm-hmm. this antagonist. He's he's not. He's he's bad, but he's not like the worst Disney villain that's like ever existed. Like mm-hmm. he's not like like a giant you know monster dragon or mm-hmm. or some witch or you know he's he's a person and he's clever and he's you know he's not the brightest but he is clever and he's still a bad guy but he's not the worst person on the planet earth he's not a fuck he's not a hitler you know like he's not that bad but he still sucks i don't know it's i i like it i like him a lot i liked him as a villain truthfully yeah. i really liked him yeah well he's not overtly evil like a lot of just unnecessary villains are he is a bad person you don't like him he's mean to animals and you don't like that but you know he's not so over the top evil which i mean he gets there a little bit later uh as we'll get to but he's not 
like, he is like a if good he villain. was pure evil, he would have just killed the kid, you know, like at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, like he would have like let him go if he didn't find that the, you know, the the feather was in his backpack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, yeah, he's yeah, he like, saw have. an opportunity. He's like, he's like, oh, I see an opportunity here. And yes, of course, it's it's bad. I, I get it. He is a bad guy and he's not a good person. But I'm just saying that it's interesting to see a villain that's not a like an evil like witch or something, you know, like in a Disney movie and like or something that's just pure evil for the sake of being mm-hmm. evil. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right. So Cody, you know, just as expected, goes straight towards the nest. Uh, Bernard, Bianca and Jake, you know, rush to him uh, and they warn him. But just right then, McLeach shoots this mass massive net and captures the golden eagle, Marahute. You know, Jake is trying to to cut the bird free, um, but he kind of ends up getting captured along with it. And so now he's kind of put inside a cage in, in this big ass uh, vehicle. You know, McLeach sends Joanna to the eggs to, to try and uh, go eat them, which I always thought kind of strange. You know, I, he he tells, you know, his reptile to go down there. Um, we got like this somewhat humorous thing where apparently Joanna's afraid of heights. And so he has to lower her. Joanna down to go eat the eggs. But, like, I would think, you know, you get, oh, you get one bird uh, that's going to be obviously very, make you very rich. You have eggs of these other very rare birds. You can sell them, you know, and make money that way. But he tries to say his motivation for this is because he wants to keep the big golden eagle rare. And, of course, if you kill the the birds, this might be the only one left. So, you know, if it's that rare, maybe he'll make that much more money. But, you know, I don't think that's actually how it works uh, with these animals. I think you could, you know, if you sold, uh, hey, we have three baby ones that are about to hatch, you could probably get a lot more money. But whatever, that's just Yeah, I I think in in the world, like... Uh, four animals is still extremely <laughs> rare. I mean, that know? is like that how is much, officially how many extinct. More... That, an, that animal yeah. is officially an extinct animal if they're down to four. Yeah, it's like how many more zeros is he going to get for just having one? I didn't quite get that motivation and it you know like like i didn't quite understand that i it would have made more sense if he sent joanna down there to bring them up and i maybe if he said like you can eat one but you have to bring the rest up maybe he just you know couldn't trust her with with doing that Mm -hmm. um but yeah i didn't quite get that that was a little bit of like a head scratcher for me i was like okay all right i guess that's just man you know it's like still like at the end of the day it's still a kid's movie so you have to like okay Mm -hmm. is that just kid movie logic yeah but, yeah, it, it, it was like a little bit of a head scratcher. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, so back to the eggs. Uh, Joanna's down there, and she's about to eat them. But she can't bite through these fucking things. You know, it, it's pretty obvious animation-wise. You can tell they're not the same as what they were when you saw them earlier. They were replaced by rocks. Uh, and, and Joanna can't eat them. So instead, Joanna kicks them off the side, thinking that she's, you know, destroyed them that way. Um, but we find out that Bernard was down there and he ended up swapping the eggs. You know, he he saved the day. He saved the eggs. Good for him. Um, what I didn't mention earlier, Bianca and Jake uh, were ended up being kind of separated from Bernard and they're up there with Cody and the birds kind of trapped right now in the uh, in the cage. Um, but uh, we kind of get Wilbur catches up with Bernard at the nest and Bernard tells Wilbur to babysit the eggs. And so he has to sit, which is another comical kind of thing with John Candy that, you know, we're just setting up that, you know, one, it's probably 
I mean, it could be pretty helpful to have an albatross on your side to fly out of a situation pretty quickly. I wonder if Bernard thought about that. That might have been good. But instead, he wants, you know, he is worried about the eggs. He doesn't want anything to get to them. And so he has uh, Wilbur sit on them and kind of, you know, play the mama for a little bit. Well, it's it's a great scene, too, because, of course, it's like that. Wilbur's like, you, you'll never get me to do it. No way, no how. And then it's a smash cut right to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, him sitting on, on, on the eggs. And he's like, I have to learn to be a bit more, you know, like forceful, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but it was it was funny. It was a nice little editing, you know, comedy moment like that. Mm-hmm. At this point, I've kind of thought to myself, why the fuck didn't McLeach, why hasn't he just shot Cody in the face uh, and just be done with it? He's got the bird. You know, he doesn't need Cody anymore. He already kind of makes people think that the kid is dead by a croc digestion. Uh, and so yeah. it's just like, you should just do it. But, you know, but you you know why he didn't have him, he didn't shoot him in the face because he was fucking smart and he knew if he shot him in the face they could like they would know that it was like foul play so he yeah. he has to feed him to the to the uh, to the alligators or crocodiles uh, in a few minutes but honestly it's because he's fucking smart if that's it, why if it was me <laughs> I'd shoot him in the face and then I'd throw him down the crocodile pit afterwards the crocodiles are still going to eat the dead you know kid uh huh. And if and if they if there's that one percent chance of finding that skull with buckshot in it, boom! You immediately know. No, dude, I'm okay. dead. That's why you're, you and I you're on would not be, are not like villains because we yeah. don't think this way. But he is, and he's clever. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we get a good little scene of Bernard who kind of takes on this wild boar. He kind of like uh, channels his inner Jake at this point. He kind of saw what Jake did with the snake, and he fucking like steer wrestles the boar and it's like hey motherfucker you're gonna go take me where i want you to because i'm a badass and so we're seeing bernard kind of you know his confidence uh raising up which is kind of nice to see yeah he it was definitely a callback to what jake did with the snake and now you can see that like okay bernard is like as capable as jake he is you know awesome too so Mm -hmm. and it's for me as someone not going into it there's not a lot going on with the rescuers, you know, and, and until the last like 15 minutes of the movie, truthfully, mm-hmm. like that's when they're actually into the engagement. They're actually into the action. And it was nice seeing a little bit of a, of an arc, you know, for Bernard mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is a bit unfortunate that Bianca just kind of helped them get there, but not too much. And then she's just kind of like sitting there waiting to be rescued by Bernard. And she's even like, no, Bernard will step up. He's 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 awesome. And Jake's like not very much believing it. But it's just like, you know, I, I know you're a badass. And you were actually in the first movie, you were like uh, not very much like a total badass, you know, in the film itself. But she's supposed to be a super really good agent. And in the first movie, Jake was a fucking janitor. And they, and then he ends up getting promoted to being an agent. So I want you wait, Jake or Bernard? Sorry, Bernard was a janitor who ends up getting okay. uh, promoted. And so I kind of want to see her be more of the badass as opposed to just being kind of like you know the female you know just side eye candy who's just waiting to get helped and rescued. Yeah, she does not really do much in this movie, mm-hmm. and and we can elaborate on it, like on it, like on our final thoughts. Mm-hmm. But I was a little bit like, uh, that's a little weird. Like the 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 protagonist of this film, I guess the protagonists are Bianca and Bernard, and they just they really don't actually do much, yeah. which is weird. But yeah, I mean, Bernard anyways, does more um, here. He he does kind of step up. At yes, the very end, yes, so. and anything. But a lot of the, what they do is in the last like fifteen minutes. Yes, yeah, true, true. 
Uh, all right, so McLeach has Cody up on this crane, and he's like, all right, I'm going to feed this little fucker to these crocodiles. Uh, as you said, uh, I guess it's a smart idea, so you make sure you don't see any bullet holes or anything like that, or if you don't find Buckshot in the head and think foul play and then go after him or something. Um, but uh, just as he's about to drop Cody into the water, the big old crane and, and vehicle turns off. And we find out that Bernard has snuck into the truck and he took the keys and he's kind of hiding under uh, the foot pedal. You know, he's kind of, all right, he's stopping this shit. And he gets those keys to Bianca and Joanna ends up kind of chasing him and it's all kind of madness, um, you know, trying to get them out. We see also that McLeach is trying to shoot the rope so Cody can still fall into the water to get the Crocs. Me, at this point, I would just shoot the fucking kid, but that's just me, (laughs) (laughs) not him. I would shoot the kid and then figure that out later. Whatever. Amongst all of the insanity that's happening here, Joanna ends up running into McLeach, and both Joanna and McLeach fall into the Croc water. Uh, And so, oh, shit. Things are about to go down. And I kind of forgot at this moment exactly what was going to happen. And I seriously thought, oh, my God, they're going to fucking let this guy. Disney's going to have this guy get eaten by Crocs in front of us. Like, I thought that was going to happen. I did, too. Trust me. I did, too. But I kind of forgot what's happening is they're actually sending, you know, apparently uh, there's this, this whole croc pond is right next to a waterfall. And so he's kind of floating down towards this waterfall. At this point, Cody also, uh, you know, the, the rope that was sh- partially shot off now breaks. And so he's kind of now also heading towards the current and heading towards this waterfall. So it's a whole bunch of shits going on. Super dramatic. Um, McLeach ends up falling over the waterfall. We get this kind of like almost a sad little little moment where Joanna is just like, oh, you're fucked. Joanna got off to the side and kind of waves goodbye. You're fucked, buddy. <laughs> I did. I wrote that down. The look of she was just like waved. She's like waved goodbye to him, but she looks sad. You yeah. know, and like I'm like, I'm like, oh, good. You know, like Joanna made it. But yeah. at the same time, she's yeah. like, oh, bye, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So, uh, I, and now, I mean, now, and, and seeing as how this is pretty much the last time we saw Joanna, I, I loved her, man. I thought she was fucking great. I loved everything about her. She was a fun, fun villain. Very. She fun. was. She was a fun sidekick villain. Uh, she wasn't overtly annoying. You know, she she played her part, and um, she also kind of had we had fun little spots where. Her relationship with McLeach was kind of interesting, um, where it seemed like at some points they didn't like each other, but also at other points, you know, they relied on each other and loved each other or whatever. Pet lizard and a and a human can do. But I, I think Jonah was a, was a fun a fun sidekick villain character for sure. Honestly, I could have seen I could have been I could have had more Joanna and McLeach. I, I mm-hmm. could have had a whole movie about yeah. them you know like <laughs> i i very much enjoyed their relationship and and how it worked and you know it, it was it was very fun it was it a was very good. fun antagonist relationship and yeah and she's up there with you know joanna's up there with like some of the greats like um ursula's uh you know two eels and stuff mm-hmm. like that you know it's yeah. joanna's up there man she she deserves a, a better shot at at, at villain stardom <laughs> yeah at villain sidekick stardom. she's not she's not at the level of like 
uh, I would say Iago from Aladdin. Like, you know, that, to me, that's a, that's a top tier where that has, I mean, but one, that one can actually talk and has a lot of personality, um, you know, similar enough with like the hyenas and Lion King or something like that. But like of the ones that can't legitimately speak, Joanna had a good bit of personality and I, and I did like Joanna a lot. So. Yeah. Then okay. Thank you, Frank Welker. Yes. Oh, you're a god. God among peons. Uh, so right at this moment, though, man, Cody's still in fucking trouble. Still heading towards yep. that waterfall. But yep. just as, you know, as he's going over, Bianca and Jake release the bird who flies down, grabs fucking Joe, Cody, and saves him from the waterfall. Bump a bum triumphant shit. The eagle saves Cody again. It's glorious. Hooray. It's amazing. I'm a 41-year-old man on my couch cheering because I fucking loved it. (laughs) I was like, yes! (laughs) I got fucking goosebumps from it, man. It was fucking awesome. Uh, And we uh, pretty much end the movie by seeing uh, Wilbur is with the eggs still on the nest. Uh, and now they're starting to hatch, and he gets bit. It's funny. It's cute. We kind of get that in it. one one extra little joke John Candy moment for us, and uh, the movie ends with that. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm happy with yeah, that. Yeah, that I was actually a little bit surprised by how abruptly it ends. Truthfully, yeah, there you get no reunion with the, the Cody mo- and his oh, mom. Yeah. You you get no reunion with um uh the bird the the eagle and her babies, which you know she'll go back to him. Obviously, yeah. I found it to be a little odd i was like mm-hmm. oh uh, uh, i guess we're done i yeah i guess that's it <laughs> no more story well yeah you're right there there was very there was really no kind of closure moment they just, they you know the climax of the film you know cody's almost dead gets saved and the, the eagle's just kind of still flying away and then we get the the last little scene with the uh, wilbur and the eggs yeah well and, and and it's not even an animated scene it's a voiceover yeah. you only hear him talk, say it so i was yeah, like it's oh. kind of from a distance yeah yeah i was like okay interesting all right yep. yeah all right so let's go into our final thoughts i will let you go first if you don't mind cuz you've been uh, pretty candid <laughs> about your thoughts on this film so far <laughs> yeah as you guys know i mean if you've listened to the last uh, other episodes of the sequels, uh, Adam's good about keeping his thoughts until the end. I, I have a hard time with that. I got to say, I love this movie. I went in not looking forward to it. I kind of I kind of put it off to the last minute to watch it. I think I got finished like 30 minutes before we started recording. But... Jesus, man, I could I could talk about this movie so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it was the animation was absolutely fantastic. I think it moved along at a brisk pace. I think that all the characters were enjoyable in their own right, but it's not perfect. I, I found it to be a little bit odd that the rescuers themselves kind of, yes, they were always in the movie and always moving from point A to point B, but they really didn't start engaging with Cody until the last like 15, maybe, you know, 18 minutes of the movie. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. I didn't feel as connected to Bianca and Bernard um, as I did to Cody and the bird. And I guess I kind of feel like it's more of Cody's movie and the bird's movie and their kind of uh, side characters, which is weird because it's still technically their their movie. But, and then it, I would, I, but truthfully, 
I could also spend an entire movie with all of these characters. I could spend an entire movie of just uh, McLeach and and Joanna, like no one else. Like I, I want to know more about them. I could do a whole movie with Cody and the bird. Um, they obviously already did a whole movie with Bianca and mm-hmm. Bernard with the first rescuers. But I and I I really really enjoyed Wilbur too. I liked all the characters. I just thought it was interesting how they used the characters, but. At the end of all of this, it's such a fun movie. It's so beautifully animated. It's it's so entertaining. I I could I, I recommend it. I recommend anyone check it out, even if you haven't seen the Rescuers. As I attest, it's not a big deal if you haven't seen it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it was great. Cool. How did it hold up for you, cool. knowing how high it was on your list yeah. uh, earlier? So, yeah, I was the one with the nostalgic value and kind of had this high regard for it before. Um, you know, I totally remembered it as a kid. You know, yeah, it made my top 10 list. And <laughs> I can say 100% that definitely this movie kind of holds up. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my thoughts. All right. I didn't, I didn't kind of give that impression as I was trying not to, especially since you were so super hyped on it. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are some... I, I appreciate you letting me enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, there are some cute moments, but, you know, rewatching this film, I don't think it's a classic. Now, the way you put it, the animation is gorgeous, and I still 100% think that this film looks really good and, and better than a lot of other animation ones, even, you know, around that time or, you know, some better than animation stuff that we're seeing now. I'd rather watch some of this than, you know, seeing like just some of the super glossy, clean, you know, CG animated films that they've got nowadays. But, you know, this one I don't think is really a Disney classic. I will say I also didn't love The Rescuers. This one is definitely better than the first movie. I still like Rescuers Down Under better than the rescuers but i do you not care for is is bianca and bernard i mean you mentioned earlier is bianca and bernard maybe just not that interesting of characters they're not i didn't love them in the first one uh i also didn't care for the story the villain in the first one was pretty cool but the overall story i just didn't i didn't love in that first movie all that much i like this one better it's a lot more animal centric which i loved animals as a kid any kid loves animals and so i think that's partly why i liked this one when i was younger you know this this one was more nostalgic for me because it came out during my time. It was played over and over, you know, in my daycare. And it also, it kind of panders to kids more than the first movie did. I would say the first movie isn't, doesn't pander to children as much as this one does with just with like probably the, the lizard kind of stuff, or even, even Wilbur with some of his things. Um, but like in general though, it, it is still good. This is still an overall good movie. I don't think it's great. And so I th- I think I think the animation definitely okay. helps. Like the yeah. quality of the animation helps to elevate this to the next level. Because even I had problems with the story and stuff. Maybe I was just a bit more mesmerized by Possibly. by the animation. But like you said, uh, it, it's it's better than than most stuff you see today. And I'll yeah. take I'll take gorgeous hand drawn animation over you know Pixar glossy CGI any day yes, of the week. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I do. I still think this movie is good. Now, do I think it is a top 10? It's hard to say. I would have to watch some of the other ones that I put ranked lower than this again. Now, a lot of them are older ones that probably have more flaws than, you know, I'm thinking about right now. So maybe this one still is in that genre. Uh, but I do remember liking it as a kid. And I still think it's a good movie. Yeah, not great. But all, all that said, I do want to say, you know, 
for the movies that we have reviewed, specifically for the sequels, this, I think, is the best movie of any of the others that we've talked about, which uh, so far has been NeverEnding Story 2, was a shitstorm of awfulness. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, are you goddamn kidding me? That... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's awful. Uh, And then RoboCop 2, that was probably the best of those until this one. And I think this one is a better movie than that. So... and yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And maybe, maybe that's, you know, why, like I, I really was, I'm not saying I wasn't looking forward to it, but I was like, okay, if this one was more of like, I'm a podcaster and this is my job, like, you know, and then I'm watching it and, but, but dude, I'm the, like I said, the, the, the credits, the intro credits, I'm like, oh, this is something, yeah. th- this is something different. This is, uh, this is engaging. This is exciting. And then just being an, being an artist, just loving animation loving hand-drawn animation i was like oh oh adam what have you done to me (laughs) (laughs) now i i absolutely agree yeah that that opening shot is awesome the music everything works so well together that opening title credit and that opening shot that i love that yeah the animation uh, there was a cg scene of uh it was definitely computer animated of like New York, like from a high angle. And you saw that it was very computer animation. And then it kind of like morphed into 2D kind of once as it moved through it. Um, but it was yeah, they they did a great job and they obviously pushed the boundaries with some of the animation, uh, you know, in 1990, 1989, when they probably animated most of this or earlier even. Uh, so I, I, I yeah, that's that. the scene. That's the scene I was gonna talk about. Was that when I had the question about the CGI? Mm-hmm. It's when uh, Wilbur jumps off, yes. you know, uh, whatever the building is, and he kind of falls down. And I was like, okay, it does kind of look like rudimentary CGI, but the shot itself, like the animation, the way the CGI works, with it works. Like mm-hmm. it's all the flying shit in this movie is amazing. Yeah. The you're, you're right. I mean, I did love the the scene with Ma, leach and joanna with the eggs that was yeah, just that was that a was good perfect, that was like, a good comedy scene. but but dude that first scene with with cody and the bird flying and everything up in the sky <laughs> and down in the ground and the birds like letting them you know holding them by his legs so letting them fly i mean all the flying stuff was just unreal given like the limitations of the animation at the time nowadays you watch like how to train your dragon and stuff and yeah it's it's easy i mean okay i know it's not easy but you can render all this shit in in, in computers and whatnot and everything and it's but dude having someone draw it by hand you know even mm-hmm. with the assistance of computer animation it's still so fucking impressive and yeah if you can if you can just go check that scene out on youtube or something just the the first shot that do it man do it but i mean if you have the time to watch the entire thing it's an it's a slick hour and like 25 minutes it's not even because it cuts off even before the uh, the credits you know uh come before the hour and a half mark so yeah it's an easy watch it's a real easy to watch Paced very quickly. I agree with that. It probably hurt that I was having to dissect it. You know, if I if I was like you and I just, you know, well, I know you wrote down a lot of notes, but you know what? If we just smoked a bowl uh, and, you know, you can smoke a bowl, I'll drink some whiskey and we just watch this movie for entertainment value, I probably would like it better than, you know, me having to break things down again. But, you know, still okay. solid. So people out there, okay. you go smoke your bowls. What do you got, Corey? What? I was just going to say, man, like, 
I've uh, by the time this comes out, you guys have probably already know that um, I have another podcast on this network called mm-hmm. Podcasting After Dark, um, and I've started having to do what Adam does, which is break down the movie. Mm-hmm. And I gotta tell you, bro, Adam, hats off to you, my friend. <laughs> I I never knew how hard it was to to take notes. Like, yeah, I mean, I have a page and a half here of just normal notes, but it was I didn't have to really pause it all that much, man. Mm-hmm. When you have to actually break down these movies and actually like you know write them down and keep the like the conversation moving forward and everything i have a new appreciation for for what you do buddy i I really do man i want to put this on the podcast guys like you've done you've done like almost 70 episodes of blast from our past and you've as as of this recording but by the time this comes out it'll probably be you know well over a good bit a little bit over that yeah yeah we do we do release the sequels uh as needed yes uh, essentially um but uh but man hats off to you brother it's it's not easy and i know what you mean it it probably it at least takes like maybe one notch out of the enjoyment experience of the movie and uh i i appreciate you letting me just to kind of have fun with this one and it helped man it really helped this one was such a fun movie to watch Mm -hmm. well yeah i'm amazing absolutely i get it (laughs) you are amazing (laughs) all right all right Corey. uh give us a little breakdown about where people can find you yeah, if you want to find me online uh, and interact with me, I'm most active on Instagram, and you can find me at Corey Nation. Uh, Podcast-wise, let's see. So we mentioned Cartwright earlier, but that's uh, Adam and I. We do a weekly Seinfeld podcast called Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. And by the time you're hearing this... There will be another podcast that I'm doing on this network, the Blast from Our Past Podcast Network, and that's Podcasting After Dark, where we basically talk about uh, horror movies and cult movies from our nostalgic past. From from you know, kind of filling that little bit of a of a niche. So let us let us know what you think about them. And all you can find all of them on uh, iTunes and Spotify, Podbean, Patreon, the the usual. All right. And uh, everybody, if you haven't already checked out Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, please check it out. It's a lot of fun. My wife even approves of it. And if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that she hates everything. Uh, So please go check it out. And, you know, until the next time we have another sequel, you know, stay classy, San Diego. I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Put put another sequel on the Bobby. (laughs) Yeah, good one. Good one. Please join us next time for another album review episode. John and Adam get their alt rock on as they discuss the self-titled album from Collective Soul. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, 
often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.